switched to I just switched to a new school and it's been pretty tough. Um it's never tough trying something new, but um one day I was sick of having no friends because I'm all I'm I, I like calling myself a bubbly person. I cannot stop talking or giggling at all. Um so one day I I was just sick of having no friends and God spoke to me and he said be yourself and tell um, one of your jokes, because that got you a lot of friends at your old school. And I listened, and I was like, you know what, that's a great idea. So I did it, and um, I told one of my funniest jokes, and I have a new friend, and his, I have two new friends. His name is Rowdy. Their names are Rowdy and Landon, and they're like my best friends ever. And we talk to each other on text messages. So yeah, we're just really great friends already because I told that one joke because God told me to. So yeah, that's my story. <laughs> what was it called? Two Minute Testimony? And cut. That was awesome. That was awesome. Wasn't it? Amen? You know, we're talking about awestruck and what it means to be struck by all. Because when we stand in front of a holy God who's amazing and magnificent, it's easy to be awestruck in almost a fearful way. And yet when we walk with Him on an ongoing basis, where we're experiencing, we've got a little acronym here, EDMs, that means Everyday Miracles, where we're learning how to connect the dots between what we pray what we say, what we sing, what we read in this book, and to what's going on in the world around us. As we do that, we experience EDMs, everyday miracles. Seeing God at work in the world around us every day. You know, last week we had a, one of those epic moment testimonies, Sarah Allerkamp from Mission de Candelia, was sharing about how early on in the journey of their mission, they had a vision from God, a call from God to go to Mexico to do life, to help and bring, make disciples and bring the gospel and help and hope to our precious neighbors in the South. And as they were leaning into it, they ran out of money. There was nothing there. And they had even had this conversation, we're going to have to get jobs. We're going to have to just work and we'll try to do it as we can. But God, but God showed up with a $10,000 miracle out of nowhere. So here's the thing. I look at a miracle like that and I go, that is awesome to use that word. That is epic. That's amazing. This week, we're looking at a fifth grader, Rhea. Like cuteness overload. Can I get an amen? And we're seeing that God instructed her to go tell a joke because it worked before where she had. And let me tell you something. Whether it was Sarah or Curtis making that long walk out to the mailbox to get the mail. Some of you felt that long walk to the mailbox. Or whether it was Rhea taking that long walk at school to go engage somebody that she didn't know based on a word from God. Now here's the thing. Because that was so cute and so adorable, it's easy to miss the miracle in this. God told her to. Okay, let me repeat that one more time, just in case you missed it. God spoke to her and told her 
what to do. And here's why this matters. Because you might say, well, it's a fifth grader, that's cute. Let me say something. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Let me say it one more time because this is so important that if you miss this, you may not get anything today. And so I'm asking you and inviting you to open not only your heart, but your spiritual eyes so that we can spiritually appraise the Word today and what God wants to say. So here's the deal. If it matters to you, it matters to Him. So I just, I'm just going to caveat right here. Where do you find yourself today? Because you may find yourself in a place where you don't feel like it matters to Him. Because whatever's going on in your life right now matters a lot to you. But let me tell you something. The God who created... He's big, right? He created Australia. Can I get an amen? He created Texas. Can I get a really big amen? Come on. So the God who created Texas and Australia, I think, can probably handle what's going on in your life right now. But I also know this about our Lord. First of all, I've learned to embrace mystery a long time ago. A long time ago. But I've also learned that when God speaks to me, I now have a long walk to make. Much longer than the walk that Jason's making right now as he's counting heads. So the longest walk, that's what we're talking about today because when God speaks, there is now something for us to do because we want to not only be open to the miracle, we want to also posture ourselves to play a role in and be part of the miracle. The God who spoke still speaks. The Jesus who acted still acts. The Holy Spirit who moved still moves today. Can I get an amen? So I want to share something with you about being open to the miracle. A miracle is a work accomplished by God for a godly purpose. Miracles are shoulder taps from God. Oh, I love that. Anyone ever tapped you on the shoulder? It just gets your attention. And they remind us that you are not alone, that I'm, God, is still in charge, and that His plan will be accomplished. Here's the good news. Philippians 1.6 reminds us that the God who started something is the same God who will finish something in your life. As we stand on His promises and as we cooperate with Him. You see, when you do recognize the activity of God, when you're awestruck, struck by awe, what that is is the activity of God moving and it becomes His invitation to you to join Him in His work. When God speaks, when God moves, now I have a responsibility to come into alignment with Him and say, yes, Lord, I'm open to the miracle and I want to be a part of the miracle. The beauty of it is, is you don't... He doesn't... Here's the good news. Good news. Really good news on this one. God doesn't tell you to do something and then say, now go get them. Good luck. I'm going to be cheering for you all the way, son. I got your back, daughter. You just run out there. No, no, no. He gives us a helper. One called alongside to help. The Holy Spirit, the word is parakletos, and it means that one called alongside to help. You may see it translated as the comforter, the counselor, the helper. All of those facets are true. So you're not on your own, not left to your own, because here's the deal. Most of the things that God calls us to do and be a part of will look like what, what Rhea was talking about. It may just be walking across a room. It may be just stepping into a new environment. But I don't want to diminish that either because I remember when I was a kid, the first time my parents dropped me off at a new school, I remember how long that walk was from the car 
to the building. Anybody remember anything like that? <laughs> Some of you have been trying to shake that memory ever since, right? That's a long walk, but for Rhea, it was across the room. But you know what? It may be more epic for you, and it may be much larger for you. It may be walking from the admitting area in the hospital into the surgical waiting room, or it may be moving, moving into it, walking into a doctor's office. Wherever that walk brings you, it can be a long walk. But the beauty of it is, is that the God who spoke still speaks and He calls us and beckons us to step into the place of the supernatural, into the place of the miraculous. Why? Why would He do that? Why would God present crazy signs like this? Well, signs are miracles that make us wonder. It's exactly what it's for. It's to get our attention and open our eyes. But here's the thing. It's not just for you. In fact, after the first service, I had several people approach me, all ages, all demographics, come to me to say, do you have a second? I want to share my miracle story with you. Hallelujah. And I, I'm talking about full of faith. I've got a little advantage here because I've heard several in-between-the-service miracle moments where it's like, oh God, I'm struck by awe because of who you are and how much you love these people. How much you love us. And here's my other thought. Father, if you did it for him and you did it for her, I have to believe you'll do it for me too. That's what our history in God proves is that we have history and we're here because he moved on our behalf somehow, some way. You may or may not have seen it or perceived it. I mentioned this a minute ago, and this may be the reason why. First of all, this is a spiritual book. You do know that, right? Oh yes, it was written, 66 books, many different authors over a long period of time, Old Testament, New Testament, uh, even the maps are hard to understand. But here's the deal. It's a spiritual book that must be understood with spiritual eyes. With a spiritual lens. I used to be able to read the menu at the restaurant, but I got tired of asking Annette across the table to hold the menu for me because my arm just got shorter and shorter. And at first, I got readers that, probably like you, I had them stuck everywhere. I had them in my glove compartment. I had them all over the house. Anywhere I could just... But I didn't like wearing glasses. Finally this year, I caved. And after four years, <laughs> I went and got my eyes checked again, and the precious lady said, uh, we're going to have to really... How long has it been? She said, oh, I see that you were here two years ago. I said, well, I was here two years ago, but I didn't even go get the prescription filled. I know there are no other men in the house right now, so all of you are thinking, how dumb are you? So, I know there's just me, I'm the human in the room right now. So after four years, I went and got my prescription, and I put these glasses on. I mean, when she held that thing up to me, it was like, oh my gosh, I can read the bottom line of that thing like it just came alive. And then when I got my glasses and put them on for the first time, I've hardly taken them off since. I don't know if it's because my eyes are getting worse because I wear them all the time, or it's just I literally couldn't see. But here's the deal. Here's what I learned about lenses. Whatever the lens is that you see through, it will impact what you're seeing. 
And with this book being a spiritual book, you can read your version devotionals all day long. You can even do a reading plan and try to read through the Bible. But if you are not seeing it through the lens of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth who leads us into all truth, is who He calls Himself, who guides us into all truth, if you're not seeing this book through these lenses of the Spirit of God, it'll just be another book. And you'll have a difficult time understanding it. So here's a little homework assignment before we even dive into our story for today. Is the next time you open this book to read, which might be in a few minutes, if you would, go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And as you do, we're going to pray and we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to put new lenses on our glasses, so to speak. That we would spiritually appraise, spiritually discern, and spiritually understand the Word of God today. And maybe it will be for you. Anybody remember the movie, A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe? It was about Professor John Nash. I love that movie. One of my faves. But what I loved about it, there's this neat scene where he's reading the newspaper, and as he's doing it, words begin to lift off and form patterns. And it's almost like it jumps off the page to him as he reads it. and He sees things that he didn't see before. And I've always thought that's kind of how reading the Bible can be when it's spirit-directed, spirit-led, spiritually appraised. You can read a verse that you've read thousands of times, or maybe you've quoted hundreds of times. In fact, you quoted it so much you forgot where the reference was. You know, I have a ton of those. And yet, for whatever reason, you're reading it and suddenly, suddenly it lifts off the page. For God so loved the world, me, that He gave His only begotten Son and it comes to life. What is that? That's spiritual appraisal. So let's pray right now. Father, we open our eyes. We, we literally consecrate our eyes. We consecrate our ears, our mind, our will, our emotions, everything we are, our bodies that even as we read the Scripture together today and see this amazing, not just a story, but this amazing event, this impactful event, that, Lord, we would see what we've never seen before, that we would experience what we've never experienced before, and we would encounter what we've never encountered before in and through Your Word. Holy Spirit, be our lens, be our glasses, and let us see. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. amen and amen. All right, so we're going to go to Romans chapter 4. It should have it on the screen there. John chapter 4. I'm stuck on Romans because of my favorite book. We'll do Romans eventually. John chapter 4, verse 46. Once more, he, Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee. Remember, he was there last week where he turned water into wine at the wedding feast. So now he's back in Cana. You have to understand, Jesus spent most of his adult life and his ministry in the area of the Lake of Galilee. So all of those communities there, Capernaum, Cana, all of those areas right around the lake, um, Sidon, Pisidian, um, there's uh, Nazareth, all of those were right there. And it's kind of like Harper, Mason, Kerrville, Fredericksburg, Centerpoint, just like our own area, Johnson City. I would not leave Johnson City out. Johnson City, all these, it's like we all know somebody from those towns. 
We all are in and out of those communities or through them doing business or driving or whatever. It was the same there. All of those folks knew each other. It's kind of like West Texas. I was sharing some dear friends, new friends from West Texas, that West Texas is huge, but there's not a lot of people there. So you sort of know everybody. And if you're from West Texas, you may be related. You never know. You may know somebody who knows somebody, or maybe your brother worked with somebody. It's, just, it's crazy how it works. Same thing. So here you have this area. And now he's back in Cana, Jesus after growing up, now starting his ministry around the Lake of Galilee. We call it the sea, but it's actually a lake, the Lake of Galilee. Here he is back in Cana, and it says this, where he had turned the water into wine, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Remember, Capernaum's not too far from there. And actually, from Cana to Capernaum's probably 10, 10 to 12 miles. So it was a hike, but it was still in the area. And so his son was there. Now, here's what's interesting. First of all, a royal official. What is a royal official? Well, first of all, it was probably a Roman centurion. Somebody who worked for the government, a government official, representative, but also someone who was Roman by nature. So the interesting thing here is that a Roman centurion official son lay sick in another community, and he comes looking for somebody. Who is he looking for? Say it out loud. Jesus. Jesus. You get a star jelly bean on your poster, right? That's like a Sunday school answer. Listen to this. John 4, 47. When this man, the royal official, heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, that's from the south coming up north, he went to him, and look what he did, begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. All right, the first beginning of a miracle here and participation in it is that a Roman centurion would come looking for a Jewish person for help. That is miraculous in and of itself. You know what that tells me about this Roman centurion? Not that he was a God-fearer. Not that he suddenly had an epiphany that Jesus was who he said he was. Here's what it tells me about this man. He was desperate. Desperate. Let me tell you, one thing I've learned by experience and confirmed by the Scripture is that God seems to be moved by spiritual hunger and desperation. God loves us so much. And I don't know where you are, but I'm telling you, in a room this size, with this many people, we've got some desperate people in here right now. Now, your desperation may be connected to a very real and tangible need in your situation, or it may be that you have a hunger at spiritual in nature. You have a spiritual desperation. i got to tell you something. I'm desperate. I'm spiritually desperate. I'm hungry. I'm calling out. I'm, I'm praying. I drive. Listen, nobody who's local drives down Main Street on a weekend. Can I get an amen? amen. Unless you think I'm foolish, the only reason I drive down Main Street on a weekend is to pray over Main Street. What am I asking for? I'm saying, Lord, release your presence over our community. Father, bless these businesses. You're welcome, business owners. Bless these businesses. Lord, pour out your grace on us. And Lord, may we as a community, I do this all the time, may we represent you well. We want to represent Jesus well to all these guests, all these visitors that are coming to our community, thinking they're coming for refreshment, rest, and to party. May they come and get spiritual rest Spiritual refreshment, spiritual restoration. Why do I do that? Because I'm desperate. 
This man was desperate with a very real need. Look what happens. When this man heard that Jesus arrived in Galilee, 47, he went to him. Again, first beginning of a miracle. A centurion seeking out Jesus, hiking out 12 miles to get there. Come to him and heal his son who was close to death. Verse 48, Jesus makes an interesting statement. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. It sounds like a rebuke. It sounds like a correction. It sounds like a harsh word. That's not at all what this is. He's making a statement of fact. He's saying that unless people actually see the kingdom demonstrated, they're not going to believe. And I have to tell you something, that the God who spoke still speaks, but the Holy Spirit who moves still moves. Why? Because people still need to see a demonstration of the kingdom. Because if it's all just about our words and us saying something to somebody, I think that's pretty, uh, pretty anemic. When God has already told us He's given us power, dunamis, He's given us authority, exousia, to actually be a living representation of Jesus. I don't want somebody to tell me, because here's our statement. We are the body of Christ, this is Oak Hills Church, called to be Jesus. And every, man, that just sounds so nice, but do you understand what we're saying here? Called to represent Him. Called to be Him. Called to be in union with Him, not to be an imitator. It's not just about Christ's likeness. I'm not imitating Jesus. I'm one with Him. And because I am now, I'm called to be Him, to represent Him everywhere I live, everywhere I work, and everywhere I play. I'm called, in my terms, to leak out life. To leak, I'm called to live a leaky life. To leak Jesus everywhere I go. So listen to this. So Jesus said, unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus said, you won't believe. So you would think, he's, if this was a rebuke, he would have said, go about your way. I'm done. I'm frustrated. Like he told his disciples one time, how long must I bear with you? He got really frustrated. Now look what happens in verse 49. The royal official said... Sir, come down before my child dies. He's pleased. He's desperate. Desperate. Verse 50. Jesus replied, you may go. Your son will live. Jesus gives him, Jesus steps into the place of exousia, authority. And now, Jesus, a Jew, exercises authority over a Roman official. That's a stunner and yet another making of a miracle. Look what happens. He says this, your son will live. How did Jesus know that his son will live? How did Jesus do anything? Remember, he's the son of man, right? He's Jesus. He's, he's God in an earth suit who moved into the neighborhood and living his life among us, right? How did Jesus know he was going to live? He didn't see him. He knew Capernaum was a good, you know, good ways over, but... How did he know? Let me tell you how he knows. It's found in the book of John, chapter 5, where Jesus makes this comment. He says, I, only, I cannot do anything on my own accord. Jesus says, the Son of Man can do nothing of his own accord, but only what the Father shows him. He said, my Father reveals himself to me what he's doing. So Jesus, in the same manner in the flesh, 
Somehow he had such a relationship with the Father that he knew what the Father was doing. And the Father revealed to him he was going to heal that boy. So Jesus with confidence could say, your son will live. What does that say about our relationship with the Father? I don't know about you, but if the God who speaks, the God who spoke still speaks, I want to hear. I want to know. I want to walk at that level of a relationship so that I'm not running around guessing and declaring things only by faith with no sight. Because again, the kingdom, we owe the world. Listen, love, ah, oh, beloved, let me just say something. Wait, I'm going to take the posture of my pastor because this is so serious. Beloved, we owe the world a demonstration of the power and authority of the kingdom. We owe it to them. They're not going to believe unless they see. Now, don't default to parlor tricks and altar calls. Don't default to a leg growing out, although if I had one leg shorter than another, I might be pretty happy about that. But don't default to tent revivals and camp meetings. Can we just think forward a little bit and say, what would an expression of the kingdom of God look like right here in our community? right here in our cultural context. What would that expression look like? Then let your sanctified imagination roll. Because I think it's going to look like a lot more than somebody getting healed of leprosy, although that would be something to celebrate, or a heart cleared up. But could it be that it's much broader than we ever thought? Could it be that it impacts politics, culture, your job, the people you work with. Could it be that a demonstration of the kingdom is something that you are so full of that everywhere you go, you're just leaking and spilling out all over the place, overflowing with His presence? In your business, does God care about your business? Absolutely. I had a man come to me between the service and say, there was a point in my life as an elderly, precious elderly gentleman, he said, back when I was in the business world, I was sitting with my books. Remember ledgers? Real ledgers? Not this, but this. And he said, I needed that day $22,000 or we were going under. It was over. And he said, I cried out to God. I said, God, if you don't show up, it's over. Our business, our livelihood. He said, that day, $22,200 came in. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Think his family and children and wife weren't happy that God showed up in a tangible way? He said, so the next day I prayed for $17,000 and God gave me $1,700. And he said, I prayed. I said, Lord, he said, well, you didn't, you know, I, I got you going this far. You're good to go. <laughs> he was funny. He was, he was cute. And he said, he said, but I learned what it meant to lean into and lean upon God, and I dedicated my business to him. Gave him everything. Because here's the thing. EDMs, they're talking about, we're talking about everyday life. A child taking a long walk across a room to tell a joke because God told her to. Now listen to what happens in the story. So Jesus replied, you may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed while he was still on the way. His servants met him with the news that his boy was living. Back up to verse 50. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Good enough for me. And I ask you a question. Is Jesus' word good enough for you? 
Would you? Could you? What if you were Peter standing on a boat on the lake in the middle of a storm and you see Jesus walking on water? First of all, I would have made a Jimmy Pruitt-shaped hole in the cab of that, of the cabin of that boat going the other way more than likely if I saw that. But he calls out to Jesus on the water before the storm happened, by the way. It's just the water. And he says, Jesus, if it's you, bid me come to you on the water. In other words, if it's you, say the word, Jesus said. Come on. We don't know how long it took him to step out of the boat. I figure it's more like a scene from Forrest Gump when he saw Lieutenant Dan and just ran off that boat right into the water. And here he is. He steps out. And whether he took one or ten steps, it's still a miracle. Even if it was just one. And the water supported him. He was in the middle of a miracle. Why? Because he took Jesus at his word. Hey, let's not beat him up for getting nervous about the storm going on. My goodness, if it was one, it was a miracle. Can I get an amen? So here it is. Look at this. This man took Jesus at his word, departed while he was still in the way. His servants met him with the news that the boy was living. When he inquired as to the time, I would have done the same thing. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Drop the mic. Then the father realized that this was the exact time. Someone say exact time. This was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household. Whoa, 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 his household. Who is that? I mean, there's more involved here. You have to understand, any Roman official is going to have an entire household full of servants and wait staff and people, not only his family, but those that are maintaining a probably large and lucrative home, beautiful home. And he and all of them, his whole household believed. So again, this miracle wasn't just for him, it was for his whole family. It was a, there's a ripple effect when a miracle happens because a sign makes us wonder and never forget. We don't park at the sign. There's a sign just out here, not far. It says, Comfort, 22 miles. How weird would it be if I stopped my truck at that sign and started celebrating, Woohoo! High's Cafe, High Street, here I come. I'm hungry. I have 22 miles to go. So be careful that we don't get so caught up in the sign, but we celebrate what it points to. And say, Lord, thank you for that sign because it points to Jesus. It points to my destination. It point me, points me to the greater reality. Does that make sense? So listen, Father realized at this exact time, see, all of his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. First one, he turned water to wine because there was a need that needed to be met. He was keeping it on the down low. Second sign, a Roman centurion seeks him out. Think about it. Jesus brought the gospel to Nicodemus earlier in this, chapter, in this same book to the Samaritan woman. Remember her? Wait a minute. Neither one of these are Jews. And then to a Gentile centurion, a government official. That tells me that Jesus brought the kingdom for everybody. And you know what? That's for you too here today. Are you hungry? Are you desperate? Do you want more? Do you want to see more? Here's the deal. Let's be straight up about that. You're not going to get more of Jesus. What he's going to get is more of you. You already got the full meal deal. He's already biggie-sized you. Amen? 
If you stepped over the line to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, I've given my heart to Christ, I receive Him as my Lord, I've made Him the Lord and Savior of my life, I'm born again, that doesn't mean that you've still released everything to Him. So there's an emptying that comes. So while you may, we say more, but what we really mean is more of me open to Him. Raise my awareness because I already have Him. And all He's waiting for you to do is lean in, make the move. As you draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. Can we pray together?